Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Of course last week we heard from Tom Appleton, an investor that built a property portfolio using lease options as the main commercial strategy. And This week we're going to hear from David France who in addition to being an investor himself has also gone on to develop a significant business in sourcing creative package deals on behalf of other investors. So this week we can look at lease options as both a vehicle for our own property investing purposes but also from the perspective of developing an additional income stream by packaging them up for other people. And as you'll hear in a minute, David shares an awful lot of very valuable information on the marketing and structuring side of this creative strategy. So let's have a listen to that right now. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. So welcome back to the Property Voice and our series on creative financing in uh, property. And uh, I'm I'm glad to be joined by David France today. David, hi, how are you? Hi, Richard. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very well, very well, thank you. So just to set the scene a bit for everyone, we're in the middle of a series, we're talking about creative financing in property, and there's a number of ways of achieving this sort of uh, leverage of, of other people's money, creative financing, and um, and one of those ways is is lease options. Now we've, to be fair to David, we had a chat off air, we've we've already had uh, someone on the show who's involved in lease options, but he's, he's sourcing their own deals primarily. And, uh, and and has built up a, a modest portfolio for doing that. But David, I think it's fair to say, as you, you I'm going to ask you in a minute to give us a bit of a background about yourself. But you kind of straddle mm-hmm. both the investor side and also the deal source or packaging side as well. Um, so yeah. it'd, be, it'd be great to get your insights from both sides of that fence. But why don't you maybe kick us off and just give us a, a brief introduction into into yourself and your background and your specialist knowledge in this area? That'd be really useful. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, thanks for that, Richard. Um, so yeah, basically. I've become um, a, just a creative property broker, um, packaging deals and selling them on to property investors. I started off as a as a joiner when I left school and just um, uh, started my own business after a few years of employment. And then um, I started, as, as Richard just pointed out, then I actually started off uh, on the other side of the fence as an investor. Uh, and then I realized, I mean, I had this misconception, you obviously needed lots of money to get into property, and obviously it's just not the case, and um, I actually went about it all the wrong way, buying properties unseen, I actually bought a property in America, bought a property on a, a lease option in the UK, and then by the time I'd done that, I had two properties, and I pretty much ran out of money. So then I thought to myself, there must be obviously ways to get extra cash and, and the cash flow just wasn't good enough to, to enable me to leave work. So then I looked at the person I bought some of these deals from and they'd made uh, five or six grand, I think I paid for one of these lease options for example, and um, realised that that was the, you know, the key really, becoming a property broker. The work they'd put into it was literally 
a few hours work into that one deal. So then I started looking into that, it piqued my interest and then I started getting involved in brokering these property deals and uh, and since then, between then and when I just mentioned what I do now, creative property broker, I've, I've com successfully completed on over 100 property transactions to date. Most of those, I'd say 90% of them have all been creative in the sense of them being lease options or installment contracts or seller finance type deals. So that's kind of a little bit of a background on me. And um, and also it's worth mentioning as well, all these deals I've done, I've probably only met uh, about of all the deals, I would say 5% of the sellers uh, or buyers in this case. Uh, a lot of the time it's just done remotely from where I live and uh, obviously we set up meetings now and again and get off days out of the office and meet investors and things. But most of the time it's all done uh, just over the phone and the internet so I can literally do this from, from anywhere. I think that... So that's a, li <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit about, about myself, Richard. So. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, and there's lots of interesting things there um, that you could really pick out. Um, obviously, I framed this particular conversation around, around lease options, but you're quite right in talking about creative financing strategies generally. Um, mm. if, probably later on I want to get into, uh, there might be alternatives. But if we just start with lease options for a minute, and by the way, I really like your mobile lifestyle <laughs> you know, opportunity <laughs> there. We'll maybe talk a bit about that as well. But if we just talk about le lease options in general, because that was kind of the main thrust of this. I might take it in a different direction later. But how would, mm. you, how would you explain what lease options are in, in, the, in general sort of terms, simplistically? Simplistically, I'd just say you're, you, uh, you're controlling an asset you don't own and uh, creating uh, you know, a profit from it. Uh, so you're controlling uh, property uh, without, um, you know, just with some bits of paper and um, able to profit from those assets uh, without having to put in the usual 25% deposits for buy-to-let mortgages and also uh, taking on the massive debt loads. So you're simply just controlling assets. Uh, and usually the, the term that we've all heard is buy a house for a pound. Obviously, it's not quite correct. You're not actually buying it for a pound. Um, one pound has to go down as an option option consideration, which makes the option contracts live. Um, so you, you can literally have anything from a pound um, upwards on that contract to make them live. Um, just quick example, some of the lease options we do, we're doing a few at the moment. We've constantly got deals in the pipeline. Uh, a vendor has agreed he wants a chunk of money for a business he's starting and we've decided to pay him uh, 5,000 option consideration, 5,000 pounds per property. So we're taking a few properties from him and obviously we, we work it up for, from a, uh, we sit down with the numbers and work, work out our break-even points. So we look to get our money back within one year of the actual cash flow mm -hmm. and obviously I can give you some examples on how we make the cash flow from those assets. Or would you like me to do that now, Richard? Or yeah, no, that, that'd be great. I was going to ask you, you know, how, how do you structure deals generally? And I guess there's a bit of flexibility, but be really keen yeah. to understand how they work, you know, some real examples of what you're doing right now and how they work and how the numbers flow. That'd be great. Yeah, well, I'd love to stand here and just say to you that there is a, just a, one bit of paper that says do this with lease option. It's just not <laughs> the case. It's... Uh, Unfortunately, it's it's obviously a mix of negotiation, uh, but ultimately it comes down to the actual seller we're dealing with. I used to think it was a you know about the properties, 
uh, but it really is a, a, a people business. And uh, and if you take the property out of the equation for a second, and you imagine uh, virtually we sat around a coffee table with the owner, and we're just asking them a few key questions, and usually our marketing again we can come on to this later some of the marketing, but our, our marketing is geared around finding properties that are in negative equity situations. So when we're getting these deals, we look at all the numbers, how much somebody owes on the properties versus how much the mortgage payment is every month. And usually we're looking for favorable mortgage conditions. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for low interest rates, ideally. I mean, obviously in an ideal world, we want loads of cash flow, loads of equity, and all that kind of stuff. It, reality is we don't always get that. And it's a bit of a balancing act. And it's about finding something that's fair for the owner and something that's that works for either us as investors, because I'm an investor as well. Mm -hmm. I have a portfolio of these lease options. I do practice what I, pre what I preach, and uh, I do have some mortgages on properties and things like that. So it's important when you're putting these transactions together, uh, and obviously we're looking at who we're, our ultimate buyer is for these transactions. We're standing in the middle. A lot of these deals, we trade them on because they're not in our target areas, not areas that we uh, particularly invest in. Um, so we just trade them on, stand in the middle and take a fee for doing that. So regarding the structures, they really are kind of um, completely different on each deal. But to give you a rough example of a deal um, that, that is a deal, they need to be net cash flowing at least around about £200 a month for them to be a deal plus. Uh, just mentioned these ones that were taken on personally for our portfolio, they actually net cash flow of £300 per month per property um, and obviously we're putting £5,000 into these properties and they've already got tenants in and, and uh, the owner like I say we, we always find out what the owner is trying to achieve by asking a few key questions because I mean they all say they need the money right now they want to sell the properties but everyone's got a cash bit everyone's got a debt bit and you usually find out what that cash bit is and sometimes it isn't even a cash bit because they're in negative equity but they've usually got a problem that needs solving Mm -hmm. And that problem could be something like uh, relocation, for example. We get a lot of people looking to relocate overseas uh, or, or down south. And they're always looking to buy right away. So if they're going to rent somewhere, you could offer simply on the option agreement rather than putting a pound down. You may agree with them to cover the first month's rent in advance, first month's rent as deposit, and that goes down as the option consideration. So you paid them something. Plus, as well, when we're putting these deals together, you've got to be ethical and fair, and you've got to make sure that whilst it sounds brilliant that you're buying properties for a pound, if any of these lease options get contested in the court in the future, you can actually say to the court, well, actually, when we sat down virtually you know, over the coffee table negotiating these deals uh, or these transactions, we we found out what their needs were and they were they were relocating at the time. We offered to pay their rent in advance and we got them what they wanted. We feel we didn't take advantage of them and they were represented by a solicitor, which is uh, an absolute must. The sellers must always be represented by a solicitor. And if we all that in mind makes combination of a, of a really good deal and as I said, minimum of £200 a month cash flow. And obviously we're looking for these deals as creative deals and how we can get the maximum amount of return out of them for our investors. Obviously there's a lot of strategies that have just come about uh, more mainstream recently such as uh, you know rent to rent um, and also even though they've been around hundreds of years 
they've obviously become more mainstream and public because of the courses that are coming out and obviously service accommodation. So if we come across some lease options, say for instance some of them would come, come across they maybe only break even um, in, in cash flow, most people would think, well, it's not a deal today, you can walk, you walk away from it and you can't help the seller. Well, we've got things like a tenant buyer model, so we could put a tenant buyer in the property and make a cash flow on it, um, or we can turn that property maybe into serviced accommodation and charge by the night and get a nightly rate on that property. So there's all different ways, obviously we haven't got a lot of time to go into detail into these strategies, I guess, but um, there's just looking at maximum ways of, and also the HMO strategy as well, renting by the rooms, etc. Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, we've got sort of um, two sides of the equation. We've got the deal structure with the owner of the property. And then we've, what are we as in, you know, if we talk from an investor point of view, you know, mm. what are we as an investor going to do with that property once we've taken control of it, to use your words? So on the, in, okay. on, the, on the owner side, you've got things like, okay, so you're going you're gonna to pay them a lease payment, which is effectively a rental payment over time of the, the agreement. You're going to pay right. them. A, you're going to pay them a, an option fee up front, which is you know giving you the right to buy that property in the future, and mm. then you're going to agree a purchase price at some stage in the future. Mm. But you're going to write it down today. So they're the three main components, I guess, aren't they? But I guess you can you can do anything you want. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, this, they're so flexible, Richard. And one very key point I must emphasise and get across to people that don't understand lease options is. It is a right to buy, but not the obligation. Yeah. So you're not obligated to buy the property. Now, obviously, you can turn a lease option into an exchange of delayed completion, formerly known as an EDC in, in our kind of business. Um, you can do that, but you become committed to buying the property, contract exchange from day one, and stamp duties payable, and all the nasty little charges that become on top, and unnecessary searches, etc. Mm. Um, it's just... Uh, so, so lease options are extremely flexible and can be applied to anything from land to commercial units to residential. Obviously, they, they are very uh, common, obviously, in the commercial sector anyway, and that's where they've kind of deferred from anyway. So. Yeah, the sort of the whole land option idea. You know, take, Absolutely. take an option yeah. and try and get planning permission. If you get the planning permission, you go ahead and buy the property, you know, that kind of thing. Um, mm. Similar principle, but uh, so on that you've got the the relationship with the vendor, which you know you. Uh, I think it's really important what you said as well about um, it's not a property type of emphasis; it's a seller requirement emphasis. Mm. Was, mm. I think a lot of people miss that because what you're doing here is you're solving. You said you're solving problems. You're finding solutions. Mm. Uh, there might be a, prop a property problem at the heart of it. I think I saw one um, just just recently about there was fire damage to a property or something like that. So that was a it was a property problem, but I guess the the vendor concerned didn't have the money for whatever reason to put right the repair work that was uh, required mm. after the fire. They probably didn't have insurance, I, I expect. But <laughs> but that was their yeah. problem. The problem was they didn't have the money. So uh, mm. I think this is really good. But. You also mentioned there, because you talked about exchange with delayed completion, but I'm really interested in what the variations of a lease option might be. I don't want to get yeah. overcomplicated, but the, you know, yeah. you've mentioned exchange and delayed completion, which is distinct from lease option, but there's, there's a lot of common principles. Um, what are those variations? Because you know, I guess you've got a toolkit, haven't you, when you go and talk to a vendor? Yeah, correct. And, yeah, yeah, so talk us through that toolkit a little bit. Well, the toolkit comprises of all these wonderful little creative strategies that we've kind of 
and like I say, I, I I'm not that clever. I haven't made these up. These are all what's been implemented and and what I've learned from going on multiple courses and just constantly educating myself. And we're talking books and audio books and uh, YouTube's and everything like that. Um, so all this all this is added to my knowledge and my toolbox that I can use and implement into these. Um, transactions to help people with the properties and that's all it literally is just helping people with the properties so some of the tools tools in the toolbox we would only implement based on a certain strategy now we the first things we look for is the numbers so is there an equity um, uh, sort of uh, spread in the property difference between the uh, if there's a mortgage on it and the market value if there is then that's one little box that we kind of uh, we don't pigeonhole anything. I mean, just quickly on that point, a lot of people say, I want to do lease options, or oh, it's all I want to do, just lease options. Well, that's the wrong way of looking at it. The the leads that we get in determine whether it's a lease option or whether it's an exchange of delayed completion or whether it's... Um, uh, I'll just uh, As well, just on that point, we would if we come across a, um, uh, a lead from Scotland, for example, you can't actually legally do lease options in Scotland. So, mm -hmm. what? Because the law society don't recognise the, uh, the the agreements and and, uh, uh, and and whatnot, and the, you can't put the restrictions on the title the same as you can in the UK. Uh, sorry, in in England. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you have to do an exchange of delayed completion there, and it becomes a binding sale. So, in that case, if you get a lead, you know straight away you can't do a lease option there, but mm -hmm. it's an EDC, an exchange of delayed completion. So that's how you differentiate and you pull out the toolbox, the right tool for that job. Mm -hmm. um, so we're constantly ratcheting through our toolbox, pulling out all the spanners and just seeing what fits really. And usually, um, a lot of the deals we come across, because of our marketing, have got no equity. And if they haven't got equity, they've got very little choice of what they can do, maneuverability-wise. So we can position ourselves and just say, well, look, you've got a mortgage on the property. How about if we or one of our partners, because again, we never tell people, oh, we're going to sell your property on for you know, three to five grand and make a nice big chunky broker fee or anything like that, obviously. So we um, we always say to them, uh, in a, in a, just uh, having a conversation with them, just keeping it light-hearted and just, um, uh, just asking certain questions to get the, you know, certain answers from them so we can uh, decide which kind of offer to put forward to them. And they don't always agree to it, but if they've got a motivation and they have to be motivated sellers, otherwise it's not going to work with us, um, and we can put um, a solution, you know, t together to solve their problem. So usually it's babysitting their mortgage until ready to buy it. We use that type of terminology with, you know, your Mrs. Jones is down the street. But if you're speaking to someone in in our kind of business, we come across a lot of landlords, and they already know what lease options are. So you can talk on the same level with them, and you can actually go into the complex complexities if you need to, uh, just to obviously uh, give them confidence that we know obviously what we're talking about. Okay. but uh, So we've got exchange and delay completion, and clearly that has to work in Scotland from what you've said. Uh, you've got the lease option. I guess you could have some sort of installment contract type of idea as well where you actually pay for it over time. So the variations there would be, you know, they'll be subtle but, you know, distinct variations of the same theme, but you take control of the property today, but to some extent you're deferring when you're actually buying it whether it's a lump sum mm. with exchange and delay completion, whether it's payment and indeed a lease option, uh, or whether it's payment over time with some sort of installment contract. Um, mm. You know, the, these are some of the 
tools and techniques you could use. So I, I'm framing at least options, but you could end up, you know, destructuring it as one of the other types depending on circumstances. Is that, that fair enough? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just a quick point on that. I mean, we do a lot of deals overseas on creative terms as well. And the ones in Spain, for example, the owners are literally ready just to give the keys to somebody. Mm. They usually want to give them to the bank, but we say rather than giving them to the bank, give them to uh, either us or one of our partners to take control of it, and then we structure a deal. And usually they end up being uh, instalment contracts. And the reason uh, why, just very briefly, is a lot of them are unencumbered. Um, so, so we do come across ones with mortgages, but a lot of them have been bought with cash, and the owners have come back to the UK, decided they don't want them anymore, and uh, we can usually agree favourable terms for somebody just to spread the balance over a set period of time, and then they own it at the end. So usually it's just a broker fee payable, which is usually my five grand, and that's a, a usual kind of typical deal fee. And then the legal fees, they cover the legal fees the buyer does. They take control of the asset, pay the monthly instalment, usually for 120, 180 months, and they, at the end of that term, they would just apply to have the title transferred into their name. Obviously, there's various, um, uh, depending which country you're dealing with, there's various protection levels you can put in place to make sure you've got the, the protection uh, over the properties and, and the security that you need, uh, because you are paying the vendor the, the, ins the instalment every month. So, so that's how we kind of get creative and we just look at different ways of helping people. And again, we've got specialist solicitors that we refer to. Uh, we've got one in Spain that's very good. We've got ones in America. We've got ones in Canada, um, you know, globally, really. So. Yeah, I mean, you touch on a point there. I'll probably drill down a little bit more into, you know, what what are the sort of best practices and things to watch out for. But um, yeah, having a solicitor involved mm -hmm. is definitely going to be one of the keys, I think. Um, Mm. Thanks for that explanation. So I think I've you know talked about lease options, but actually you may end up structuring it slightly differently depending on circumstances. But in terms of lease options themselves, is it? Mm. Do you think it's still a big opportunity at the moment? I mean, obviously when you talk about things like negative equity, as yeah. the market improves, maybe people's equity position improves as well. Is is it mm. still as as good an opportunity from an investor point of view right now than perhaps it was four years ago? Yeah, that's a really good question, Richard. Um, only time will tell, but I think all the time there's, if you look in the press, there's negativity everywhere. You know, uh, we've just gone through Brexit and now we're out of there. You know, there's still turmoil and people in chaos about it all. If you, there's lots of opportunity about right now. And uh, I mean, right now, for example, I don't know where we're going to be in a few years' time. Even if the market does improve, there's still a lot of people that are still in. in quite deep negative equity, places like Liverpool and also the North East, there's lots of places over there where people are in massive negative equity. So even when house prices do rise, they may even be just breaking even. But even on that point, that's I mean, that's getting very, obviously, deep into, uh, you know, economics and all that kind of uh, stuff. So th the real point, I think, is there's always going to be motivated sellers out there. There's always going to be a reason why someone wants to get rid of a property but can't sell it in the conventional way. So if you imagine a property that's got no no, uh, no bathroom and kitchen, obviously they're unmortgageable uh, by a mortgage company, you can step in, take, it, take control of that asset with your one pound option agreements, if you would, and depending on the seller's situation, you could agree to do that property up and then get a mortgage on the property, exit out, exercise your option, and buy that property with a mortgage 
and you've created some value. Uh, you know, this is how you can get creative with these types of, of deals. But um, but yeah, to answer your question, you know, I don't know where we're going to be, obviously, in five, ten years' time. Right now, options work very well, uh, but there's always going to be, I just personally feel there's always going to be a need for uh, this type of, of transaction. It always comes in uh, very handy. Yeah, but this is this is this is just one strategy we're using anyway. I mean, we we deal in other markets as well. So if it if it dried up in the UK, we'd shift our focus to a different market um, where there is uh, motor, more motivated sellers. Uh, but even then, there's still all these other strategies that we're implementing, like service accommodation, uh, rent to rent, you know, that type of thing. Really. So okay. there's always there's always an opportunity, and and because we're we're just a small organisation. We can move with the times. If if drastic market changes, then we can adapt ourselves, re-educate ourselves, and reposition ourselves. But if we're too big and rigid, and you know, so I know some of the big BMV companies, when all they were doing was just BMV back in the in the rising market, and then when the bubble burst, a lot of them went out of business because they just didn't know how to adapt. Whereas if you can just find out what sellers try to achieve and get them that the best way possible, and take a fee for doing that, then we just quite quite quickly carved a bit of a niche for ourselves. And again, it's not something I've developed. It's something that, that's been around for a long time mm. that I've just got educated on. And it's important you get educated on these systems and, and, and the way they're structured because obviously there is some pitfalls to these types of, of things and you're probably going to be asking me about that shortly. <laughs> <you know? laughs> you're reading my mind. You're reading my mind. But, yeah, thanks for explaining yeah. that. I think um, – the you know being flexible as property investors is a big takeaway there. Um, not mm. to be necessarily, necessarily. I mean, I think it's good to focus when you're starting out, but have a degree of flexibility and be prepared to change direction as circumstances present themselves or um, things things happen, which you've alluded to quite a bit. Um, mm. that's, I agree with you totally. Let's just talk a little bit about, you talk about marketing. I'm curious to know, how do you find these sellers? Because that's what we're talking about really, isn't it? Mm. We're finding this, you're finding the sellers. How do you go about mm. finding these sellers that, you know, particularly for lease options, but I, I do take the point that it, it's not prescriptive. It could end up being installment contract, could end up being exchange mm. and delay completion. Yeah. Okay, well, just a quick point on that. I mean, as you know, I'm doing UK and overseas uh, property transactions now. I obviously can't market to the world, I'll, I'll go broke, it costs too much to do. So because we've got such a niche, we're able to find people just through a very niche kind of um, uh, sort of um, strategies. So a lot of the time we're using your gum trees, uh, they're obviously very popular. But interestingly enough, if we're using gum tree for the overseas side of things, no one's doing it because no one knows how to put these deals together. People have limiting beliefs, they just think, well, you can't help overseas sellers, you know, we're working in the UK and I don't know how that would work legally and all this stuff and they build it all up and just never never do it. So that's really good for us because we're able to capitalise on these types of opportunities, lots of people looking to offload their properties overseas and uh, and the UK ones, again, we're still hitting classifieds because you see lots of people giving it a go in this business and I'd say that in, in inverted commas because all they do is just come in, give it a go They'll maybe give it a go for a month or two and contact sellers and say, oh, it doesn't work, you know, I didn't get a deal or whatever. But you've constantly got to be taking appropriate action and constantly speaking to sellers but also making offers as well. 
Um, so we've got a bit of a process with, with making the offers. We make them verbally in an email, and then if we've got a correspondence address, we usually send them a letter in the post as well. So it's a bit of a, a system to it now, and uh, a lot more kind of focused. And, um, and so, so going back to the marketing side, uh, we use online, offline. Um, when we're on patch, and we've got a patch to, uh, to, to work on, we, we currently hit Liverpool, uh, North Liverpool, a certain area within an area, because if you pick up an area, say Birmingham, for example, you couldn't market to the whole of Birmingham. You'd have to pick certain demographics, and, and obviously we've got certain uh, criteria to hit that, that, that makes uh, a patch a patch for us, uh, because we know based on uh, property values, uh, yields, rental yields, what will stack and what type of equity levels are in those properties, because you can check land registry for the peak of the market. It and, and what kind of values people are paying. So we're able to, to determine what areas we're going to focus on to, to market to. And then we're doing, obviously, the ugly boards that everyone's seen. They work, bandit boards. Um, we do handwritten letters to uh, properties that are for sale. Uh, we use scrape data lists that we get. We've got some software that produces um, scrape data lists, and we're able to send handwritten letters to those addresses. That gets a really good response rate. We also do something called a three-letter campaign. Um, uh, again, I learned this from a YouTube video uh, one of my friends had done, and uh, I implemented it into my business, and that's been working really well. And their properties are up for sale, and you send them a series of three letters. And obviously, the, the theory behind it is they're receiving contact from you three times, and you're giving them value each time as well. So you're giving them value by, uh, I mean, I, I won't go proper into the detail of the letters, but um, it's, it's, it's designed just to keep it short and to the point and just let them know that we are property buyers and we're looking to buy in that area. And you'll be surprised how many leads we get from that type of strategy as well. Um, and then there's things like leaflets. People say leaflets don't work. That's rubbish. They do work. You've got to be very targeted with your leaflets, though. If people do the scattergun approach, 10,000 leaflets to 10,000 homes, you will go bust very quickly. If you concentrate on a few thousand properties and hit those properties consistently, and I think the marketing kind of theory behind it all is they have to receive your leaflet five or six times, I think it is, before they start responding. So we're just doing everything in a very targeted fashion uh, and, and certainly not diluted. It's got to be very concentrated to a specific area, and we're implementing, like I say, the on-patch kind of marketing. Uh, but obviously, we're doing a lot of stuff remotely as well. So we do, obviously, uh, we've got websites that bring in leads. We've got some good connections with some of the big, um, uh, what do you call it, the, the property companies, that uh, like BMV companies, and they supply us with leads, and we JV on them if we can turn them into deals, and all types of things like that. So we're not just relying on one marketing channel. We've got to have multiple marketing channels to bring these leads in. Uh, paper adverts work as well, uh, if they're done in the right papers. And, and, uh, and things like that. So, um, so, so that works well. And we've got some certain magazines. I'm not going to tell you uh, <laughs> which they are because uh, they're working really well for us. <laughs> um, so uh, we've got some magazines we advertise in, and they pull in some pretty. We call them high value leads because we work on a lot of portfolios. Uh, I'm quite comfortable dealing on the with, with the big portfolios now, and you can obviously generate very good income from from trading portfolios. Um, because the, just quickly on that point, you've just got one seller 
and say 50 properties, you haven't got to convince 50 lots of people to sell each of the properties in this particular way. Mm -hmm. So if you get a portfolio, it's economies of scale and everything is just basically uh, uh, amplified and so are fees, which is the important thing as well. Well, you know, David, I, normally I would have been saying we probably need to keep a little bit of focus on time. But you know what? I was just so um, happy to let you just carry on and explain all of those different <laughs> marketing routes and channels that you've just outlined because I think it's really valuable, helpful information. So that's why I was just really quiet in the background and like, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. um, we might end up with a longer recording than um, probably anticipated, but I'm actually thinking the value is great. So I really do appreciate it. But I do have no to. No problem. You have to keep one eye, one eye on it. Um, so I'm sure people are going to reach out to you to talk a bit more about it. Um, but just okay. you straddle both sides of the, of the fence, as we talked about earlier. One is an investor yourself, and the other one is a deal yeah. packager. Now, yeah. if I try and think about put myself in your shoes, because I'm not totally in your shoes, but you've mm. uh, you, but the elements there you've got, you go well, not necessarily you, but people that can find their own deals. That would be deal sourcing. Mm. Um, they could use an outsource packager like yourself, um, you know, mm. to find deals for for you. Um, alternatively, you could you could be you and just find deals and keep some and sell some on. So you you've yeah. got a few different angles that you could sort of you know get involved with the lease option and and similar types of strategy. How how would you suggest people go about considering what's what's going to work for them and you know what the drivers are, what the benefits are, and what the considerations are. Mm. Yeah, well, there's going to be a few factors that obviously come into play there. Depends how much people have got to invest in a business to start with, because even though it is a very low-cost business and it's it's one of the quickest ways to get revenue in uh, very quickly, large amounts of cash, but you still need to put money into marketing and, and things like that. So I think some of the key points to people deciding whether to keep them or trade them is, again, it depends where you're based. Um, I mean, I'm up in the northwest. A lot of properties uh, up up in this particular area uh, do tend to work very well for uh, obviously lease options. If you're in the south of England or London, yeah, you know, people ask me if you can do deals in London. Yes, you can still find motivated sellers in London, uh, but it depends what you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to get to sort of five, ten grand a month trading deals, you would need to be focusing on some um, uh, of the negative equity locations. Um, to, to trade these types of deals. If you're looking to build a portfolio with some capital uh, appreciation potentially in the future, because uh, just a quick point on that as well, the value we see the massive value in the lease option in the longevity of the option. So you can obviously agree a lease option for uh, you know a week or something, but you can also do them over some of my lease options are like 23 years left on the on the. Uh, on the mortgage, so we try and get them for as long as possible because there's real longevity in the option. Because obviously, if house prices rise in that period, we get the benefit. We can exercise our option, or we can trade that option agreement on for a fee. So we're just trading a bit of paper for a you know a very chunky fee. There's there's different ways we can do it. So we see the value in the length of the option. So just going back to your question, why would you know trying to differentiate whether you'd be a trader or an investor or both? It's down to the individual, and do they want to be a landlord? Uh, obviously, I leverage letting agents. I definitely don't like dealing with tenants. I definitely don't like uh, doing jobs on properties, even though I've, I've you know, done it all when I started doing them. Uh, even my one in America, me and my, my wife, we hired a car, did a road trip from New York to LA, 
and on the way across we stopped at the property, I'd never actually seen it, uh, we actually went to the Home Depot that was there um, and bought some tools and started fixing it all up and it was just a bit crazy really and because <laughs> the tenants had left, had left the right mess to it and I thought well I'm going to have to put it right so I thought well I'm here, we've got a few days spare, let's just get on and get it done because I've got, I'm a joiner by, by trade, by background uh, so I'm quite used to getting stuck in and doing, doing jobs anyway. Um, so we actually did some jobs while we were there and so, so you've just got to decide yourself what do you really want to do and nowadays obviously I don't touch any of the properties and I try and do everything hands off if I can. Even the marketing for uh, say tenant buyers, I know we haven't really covered that strategy but um, it, it just a bit of an extension to lease options. If we're doing things like that we've got companies that we use, a good friend of mine has got a, a letting agent and he puts it up on Rightmove, they deal with the inquiries and then they put um, uh, these tenant buyers in the properties and I just wait for the completion and then collect the fee at the end. Um, so there's different ways, you've just got to think about what you're trying to achieve. Are you trying to achieve short term cash so you can leave your job now, which I would recommend packaging deals. If you're trying to build up a, a, a long term uh, residual passive income and everyone wants passive, everyone talks about passive, but um, you've just got to think, do you really want this passive income? Because just a quick point on that, um, everyone in this industry I come across are like, what, you know, you say, why are you getting into this? Oh, well, I just want to leave my job, I don't want to live on the beach, I want to travel the world, and I don't want to, you know, but I think people are missing a big point. You, you've got to be passionate about whatever you do, and I'm very passionate about property and passionate about helping people and helping people succeed, mm -hmm. and you usually find I work more hours now than I ever did when I was a joiner, and it's because I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. and and helping people and whilst I've got good passive income from my properties I just keep obviously adding to the portfolio and I just let the passive income kind of roll over really and just keep reinvesting it but I wouldn't really think about just giving up what I do because I could probably do that and just live off some of the income but I don't really think about doing that because I enjoy what I do and if I stop enjoying what I do then I need to find what I am passionate about and start following my passion. Um, I know I went slightly off on a bit of a tangent there, but I just wanted to explain that. <laughs> well, one thing I come across, I think people don't really know what they want, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I come across this sort of thing. It's really just working out what you want, uh, what your end game is. Uh, I call it a someday goal, but, you know, and, and if that's a short-term income replacement, I think things like light deal packaging can work quite well. Um, it, you know, to be clear, it's, it is kind of a job uh, or a business. You know, it's, 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 an, it's very active, in other words. Um, mm. it's, you know, even if you outsource a lot of the, the work, you still got to manage that and talk to people and that kind of thing. You also talked about the passive income, which you know you probably get over the period of a lease option. I think the other ingredient that's probably appealing um, is is wealth creation or you know asset building. So you, it's a low cost way of building assets because you you don't have to pay for them until some point in the future. Um, mm. So that, I think that's the other dimension. So you can still use it for a long-term wealth uh, wealth creation strategy, particularly if you haven't got that much money to start with. Uh, if you don't mm. need you don't really need the money until later, it can be can be quite a good idea then as well. I think um, to to build a portfolio or have elements of your portfolio which are lease options. Let's put it that way. Just just a quick point on that, Richard. Um, most people, the traditional investors of this world, obviously the old way of doing things was people put in a 25% deposit um, and then leverage bank finance at 75% and then make maybe 200 pounds a month and then you've got you know 100 100k property everyone uses that example you've got 25,000 in that property 
Um, that money's run out now. You've, you have got 25 grand. It's gone. It's in that property. You're only getting 200 pounds a month. If you leverage that 25 grand and put it into a sourcing business like I'm doing, you could actually build. You could well. You could actually buy portfolio for 25 grand, and it would probably produce. I don't know. Um, you could probably buy uh, five, five or six properties from a sourcer like myself, paying me my full fee and getting. Um, uh, you know, six, seven hundred or eight hundred pounds a month. So, so the the end result's the same, but you're actually getting more from that asset. And okay, you don't own it, but you don't own them anyway. The banks own them, so you're just controlling the assets anyway. So, it's huge leverage is is lease options, massive leverage, and you can just consistently just just keep building upon that and just keep reinvesting. But the new wave of investors, sophisticated investors, we're constantly educating ourselves. New strategies coming out all the time. You've got to be careful not to implement too much because obviously each one is different, different kind of marketing strategy. Yeah. Um, so, so we're talking a lot about the sort of upsides and the wins, but you know, I've got to sort of ask you, um, you know, hand on heart, what are the sort of potential risks or you know things to watch out for with, uh, mm. with this type of strategy? What what should people be aware of there? Okay. Yeah, the, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's not all. Um, it's not all uh, as good as everyone makes out. Um, it, what can happen is if you take uh, a property under under control and somebody's got some financial, a seller's got um, you know uh, about to go bankrupt or something like that, they may well have creditors that try come after some of their assets in the future. Whereas if you've got good solid paperwork that's done by a solicitor that's lodged at land registry with an RX1 restriction, then that basically means that you've got a claim, uh, hopefully, if there's any equity, then it kind of draws out any equity if you've got the right paperwork, um, but uh, you need to make sure your, your paperwork's done properly, because there is a potential, it could happen that if somebody did go bankrupt and people came after their assets, uh, the banks have obviously got first charge on the properties, they could just snatch them properties back, put them through an auction, and you've just, uh, you've got to, but this is the thing you've got to think about, if we're looking at our um, our rate on return um, or our ROI, we're looking to get me personally. I look to get my money back within my first year. Yeah. Uh, a lot of my investors, I look to get their money back within two years because obviously I've got my broker fee to cover. Say, you have to pay. You. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they've got to pay me. Uh, they can take me out of the equation, but they've got to do all the work themselves. So uh, obviously they can they can. Uh, decide what they want to do because everything has a cost either time or money and some people prefer to some the clever people realize that paying with money is better than paying in time because you actually buy more time then um, but anyway um, so yeah so that's a, a really good point on on the risk side if someone goes bankrupt you know potentially it could jeopardize your option on the property but you've got to decide how much you've got in that property is a property going to get repossessed straight away as soon as you take it on you know possibly not obviously it depends on that so that particular seller's situation, um, there would be a process it all goes through, and you might even be able to. Uh, we use letters of authority, which allow us to deal with the lender on the owner's behalf. So we're fully aware before we take a, a, a property on of what financial state the property's in. Are they over leveraged? Have they been truthful with us regarding all the figures? We confirm the mortgage product, the redemption figure, everything like that. So we put a lot of safeguards in place prior to taking them on, but there is still that element of risk, like anything, there's always a risk, And um, but I'd rather have this kind of risk than 
then obviously having massive amounts of debt in my own name and then something going wrong where the lender maybe calls a loan in because you've, you've breached the mortgage terms and conditions by maybe running it as a service accommodation and you shouldn't have or something like that, then potentially, I don't want to open a can of worms when I say that because I know, I know service accommodation is flavour of the month at the moment but we won't go into that, but obviously they're the kind of risks that could jeopardise these properties. So with, with lease options, I personally think they're very low risk compared to every, every other type of strategy. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm glad you pointed out some of these things because um, we're talking about creative financing and we're talking about all the upsides and you know low cash in, leverage, these sorts of things, deferred payment. They, they're very, very appealing. But mm. bottom line is with it being a creative strategy, it's all also to some extent an advanced property strategy. And um, you need to have an awareness of all the potential risks and uh, and be able to have systems in place and uh, that help ma manage those risks. So you talk about bankruptcy as a potential risk. The reality is not that many people actually go bankrupt. More likely is they might uh, fall into arrears on a, on a mortgage and uh, and have that property repossessed. So mm. repossessions probably happen more than bankruptcy. So but you can take steps to protect yourself for for bank uh, sorry for repossession uh, more mm. than bankruptcy because. Um, for example, if you make yeah. the payments directly to the lender or you confirm mm. that they've mm. been made, that lender's mm. not likely to step in, for, certainly for non-payment issues, um, and yeah. so you can manage that risk there. But for bankruptcy, well, you know, if they go off and <laughs> uh, do mm. whatever they want and, and become bankrupt, then it's very hard to actually control that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but it's not. Right. But it's equally not, you know, super common. Bankruptcies are kind of the last resort, aren't they, for a lot of people? Yeah, absolutely. I think you've 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 actually mentioned a really good point there. Um, we we always recommend people pay the lender direct. Obviously, minimises anyone misspending any money, especially if you've got someone a vendor who is you know clearly uh, not not able to handle money properly. Uh, you you've got to be able to uh, just take a a proper view on it. And the the, the common practice for it is to pay a lender direct. Uh, you just get the uh, the account numbers um, and, uh, and and send. The, the funds over every month to pay that mortgage. So you, you, you're actually protecting yourself that way anyway by doing that. Yeah. So, and like you say, if the mortgage is getting paid, why would a lender repossess the property? It's only if, if those payments fall into arrears, they're only going to start uh, obviously looking at the, the property anyway. That's, um, so thanks for your frankness. But um, I guess I've just got a mind now on, on drawing us to a close. There's a couple of things I just wanted to yeah. ask. First of all, you've talked about education books and other resources, but do you, do you have anything in partic yeah. any particular resource that you might recommend that our listeners uh, um, go and find you know, that's helped you, particularly in the area of lease options and, and similar types of um, Yeah, well, lease options in particular, there's obviously quite a few. I mean, I've got a manual that I can... Uh, you know, I can give away as a resource. I'm happy to give that away, which goes into nuts and bolts of the lease options. But a lot of the time, there's just there's so much information out there. I mean, sometimes you're a little overwhelmed because the information. There's webinars every other week on all these strategies. If you if you if it is really lease options people are wanting to do, then just uh, YouTube, just put in lease options and and, and just start educating yourself. Um, there's lots of webinars and things that will really help you do some deals and then books wise I mean I've read read the rich dad poor dads the four hour work weeks and you, if you just take little bits out of these books yourself obviously taking some of the stuff with a pinch of salt because some of it is airy fairy kind of stuff uh, and just drawing some of this stuff out of the books 
Um, but some of the things, actually, just a quick point that helped me recently, and now I'm working with a business coach, my mindset is um, I didn't realize how important that was in business, and I've been working a lot on my mindset. So I'm watching a lot of uh, Grant Cardone videos, uh, Brendan Burchard, he's very good uh, on productivity and just managing your time and planning things out a lot more. So there's, there's lots of resources out there, obviously, um, and I'm just constantly educating myself um, on these, uh, you know, on everything really, just constantly improving my mindset and, and everything like that. Well, I think that was a takeaway. I think you used the very phrase earlier in the conversation, constant education. And uh, I would say, you know, for anyone involved in property, I definitely recommend constant education. And this podcast is an example of that. But um, equally, I think specific education. So you just talked about go to YouTube, put in lease options and watch a bunch of videos around the subject of lease options. So very good takeaways. Yeah. But you mentioned the manual and... Um, Kind of, is that something that you can make available to listeners of the, the Property Voice? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And the manual, um, it doesn't cover any of my overseas stuff currently. Uh, that's kind of a little bit separately. Um, but the lease option one uh, in, in incorporates marketing techniques, negotiation techniques, uh, direct-to-vendor techniques, all these types of things. Everything from packaging it, from finding the deals to selling them to an end user, to, to an investor, and how to uh, you know put property brochures together and present them to investors. So the whole thing's kind of there. Like I say, loads of people can go out there and get the information. But a lot of the time, people have trouble implementing it because they need somebody there usually to hold the hand through transactions because you are going to come up against you know stumbling blocks from time to time. But uh, but yeah, happy to make that available, Richard, to so all the listeners. That, what just clarify what's it called? Uh, uh, it's, it's not. It's just kept it simple. Just lease options and BMV uh, deal packaging manual. That's all okay, it's so called. I think mm. if we just say manual, <laughs> and then manual. If, if people yeah. can reference the property voice, and then and how do they get hold of you to get hold of the manual, David? Um, well, I can obviously send it by email. Uh, I sometimes send attachments by Facebook. So if people added me on Facebook, I can just ping them, ping them on over by. Facebook, in fact, that seems to be a lot quicker than email these days, just sending files through uh, digitally through, through um, uh, Facebook and things like that. So, um, so yeah, happy to do that. Send it by email or, or, or Facebook or Skype or however anyone what, wants. What's your email, David? Um, send it, uh, they can send emails to uh, sales at fastcompletion.com. Fastcompletion. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I just wanted you to say it because some people obviously just listen to this in a place where they can't write things down, but they may be able to remember it. Um, but we have show notes, okay. and I'll make sure all, all these links are going to be in the show notes so people can get hold of you. But just to clarify, okay. uh, if you want uh, David Francis' uh, manual on lease options, just uh, either Facebook him, which he quite likes by the sound of it, uh, or <laughs> dropping me an email, um, sales at fastcompletion.com, and I'm sure that uh, it will go from there. But I just want to sort of wrap up really and say thanks so much because I, I, I have yeah. deliberately let the conversation flow because you just you're letting out so many nuggets of information, and um, yeah. I think that's really really helpful to our audience. So really appreciate it, David. Thanks so much. No problem at all. That's fine. Yeah, and thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time out to record my call. Thank you. No worries at all. Well, I'm sure we'll be speaking soon. I might even grab a copy of that manual myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, brilliant. Cheers, Richard. Thank Cheers, you. David. You take care. Bye bye. In addition to potentially controlling a property for as little as a pound, 
okay, fair enough, in the current climate we may need to pay some extra fees, maybe to the owner, maybe to a sourcer, but in theory we can control a property for as little as a pound. David also talked about the potential to develop a, a business or an additional income stream by finding and packaging up deals for other investors. And under our own right property strategy model, that's R-I-G-H-T, but if you remember that spells out uh, different types of property strategy, this would be both H, handling other people's property, that's the option part of things, and I, investor services to earn fees from a related party, uh, sorry, related property activity, and that's of course the packaging side of things. And it's clear that these two strategies and revenue streams could, could be run side by side as well, just as David does. He also stressed the point of constant education, as Tom did last week, in fact, if you remember. But we also discussed the idea of specific education as well, and I thought that was quite a good nuance to make. And this is uh, very well illustrated when we, you know, if you think about what we talked about when we talked about lease options not being recognised and so not enforceable in Scotland, for example, where they have to be done and structured as an um, exchange with delayed completion. Nearly got my uh, uh, mnemonic mixed up there, exchange with delayed completion. But David did also highlight some of the potential pitfalls with the strategy, and that's fair enough as we should all be aware of the risks and drawbacks as well as the potential upsides in any property strategy. Lease options might suit people in negative equity, however as we discussed it is not the only situation where it could be a tool in the toolbox that we could use. Quite rightly, David mentioned finding solutions to the problems a property owner has rather than being prescriptive in that solution. And that could lead to the right solution being an ex exchange with delayed completion or instalment contract as just two potential creative financing solutions that we could deploy in substitution to a lease option. So go in there with perhaps three tools in our toolkit and come out with the one that suits the purpose and the situation the best. So therefore becoming effective at understanding a property owner's problem, and that could be a homeowner, it could be an investor, and then their motivation, which uh, David also stressed, is at the heart of this type of strategy. And this may involve either a lease option one day or another type of solution another, another day. Finally, David raised the point of the sophisticated property investor. And that's people like you who listen to this podcast and other educational material like this. You see, labelling us all as just landlords can be a little bit misleading at times. When you consider all of the different permutations and structures that we could become involved with, the last time I counted up the number of different property strategies, it was a number in the 40s approaching 50. Some claim it could be as high as 100 or even more, but, and that's an awful lot of sophistication, I'm sure you'll agree. Many of the advanced property people, myself included, have added multiple strategies to the armory over time for a balanced portfolio not only in terms of asset and tenant type, but also in terms of commercial and financial structure as well. But let's walk before we start to run though, shall we? And so therefore, we're just going to leave that point there for now. Although I rather suspect it might recur when we do a wrap up towards the end of this series. I'm sure you'll find David's knowledge on the subject of lease options and, and related structures to be very sound and very helpful. And don't forget to get in touch with him if you want a copy of the lease options manual that he mentioned as well. His contacts are in the show notes, or just drop me a line and I'll put you in touch with him. 
but just mention the property voice when you do as it always helps our guests to know where they heard of heard about things and heard about you approaching them Right, that's enough from me this week. Uh, we're going to take the creative financing discussion onto another level next week when we talk about one of the current buzzword strategies, rent to rent. So let's look forward to lifting the lid on that then, shall we? But as always, email me personally if you want to talk about anything from today's show or more generally in property investing, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. And of course, the show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. Other than that, I'd just like to say thank you very much for listening once again this week and until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.